I want to talk today specifically about how God is moved with compassion. God is moved with compassion. In fact, in Psalm 145, verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Here's the interesting thing, is that when we receive Christ, we actually share his feelings. We come to discover his heartbeat. And what moves God is what moves us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, says, For who has known or understood the mind, the counsels, and purposes of the Lord, so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? Now, I know some of us have tried. Like, I'd like to marry that person, or I'd like to buy that house, or I'd like to, you know. But again, you know, sometimes we may try to tell God what we think we want or what we should do, but uh, we've never prevailed. Amen? I mean, it's his wisdom. He's infinite wisdom. But watch how this goes on to say, but we have the mind of Christ. Say that after me, would you? I have the mind of Christ. The Messiah do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. So when you become a born-again believer, you actually share his feelings, that you share his thoughts. And I think that's a great prayer to pray on a regular basis is, Lord, help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. Help me to have compassion for the things that you're compassionate for. You know, I shared at our, on Wednesday at our night of worship, I closed out our sermon. There was a mini message, I know, but I closed out my message with talking about a man named John G. Lakes. Now, John G. Lakes lived many, many years ago, but he was known for being one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest anointed men of God who brought healing to so many people. And uh, one time in particular, he was assigned to a woman that was diagnosed in the last stages of cancer. Her body was so frail, it was just down skin and bones. Well, in order for her to get any kind of relief, she threw herself over on the mercy of God. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but she chose not to even take medication. She said it's all God or nothing kind of thing. And because she didn't take medication, she was in excruciating pain. So the only time she could get any kind of relief is if there were prayer intercessors around her that were praying and praising to God is the only time she could get any relief or any sleep. Well, John G. Lakes, who happened to be assigned to her, he was praying, interceding, but he needed to go uptown for a moment to get something. And so he left her. She had fallen asleep. And about two blocks away from her home where she was at, he was on his way back from town, and about two blocks away, he could hear her screaming with excruciating pain. And so he busted a move, and he took off bolt, with a bolt of lightning, you could say, because compassion welled up in his heart. Say compassion with me. Compassion. Compassion welled up in his heart, and he ran to her as fast as he could. And when he got to her, she was crying out in pain, and he just picked her up, and he held her in his arms, and he wept over her uncontrollably. And when he did, this compassion that was inside of him went into this woman, and the miracle healing power of God, grace himself was released into this woman, and this woman was instantly healed of cancer. There are many documented uh, miracles that took place in this man of God's life. But the key was he was moved with God's compassion. One of the most important things you can do in life is move with the compassion of God. 
Jesus himself said, I don't do anything except for what I see my father do. I don't say anything except for what I hear my father say. And Jesus was moved with great compassion. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But one of the reasons why you hear me from time to time when I'm mentoring people, what are you compassionate for? What moves you? What makes you cry? Because if we're doing something that doesn't move us with compassion in life, eventually it's going to be a long journey ahead of us. The key is finding out what we're, dis- what we're born for. So there's two important days in your life. The day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. If you're not passionate, like Warren Buffett was passionate for what he did, he said he danced to work. If you're not dancing to work, this could be a long journey ahead of you. And I understand there's different stages. There's being faithful over what God has called you to do. It may not be exactly the desire of your heart, but you're doing it as unto the Lord, and you're just being faithful with what you know you're supposed to be doing at the moment. But one of the most important things you can do for yourself and for the people around you is discover why you're here. What is your purpose? What makes you cry? Because if you ignore the problems in this world, your heart can become calloused. But if you become the answer to the problem in this world, you will always dance to work. They did a survey on some multimillionaires, a fairly lengthy survey, and they asked them the question, did you do it because you love it, or did you do it because it was good money? 99% of these multimillionaires said, 99% said, we did it, Because we love it. We're passionate about it. Only 1% said they did it for the money. Because money is not enough to keep us motivated in life. Money is not what makes us cry and, oh my goodness, this green stuff or whatever it is, (laughs) credit cards now or whatever. But, you know, this is not going to move you. You may think it will. I remember Deion Sanders one time said his ultimate goal in life was to help win a Super Bowl. And he got there. He was at the pinnacle of his life, and someone asked him, is it everything that you thought it would be? And he said, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that we got here and we won the Super Bowl, but it's not exactly what I expected it to be. Sometimes we create these false dreams thinking that if we just get married, we're going to be happy. If we just have kids, we'll be happy. If we have a house with a two-car garage and a a dog, we'll be happy. Or if I can just make X amount of money, I'll be happy. What's going to make you happy is when you become the answer to the problems in this world. When you move with compassion, Amy and I, as you guys have known, we've written a couple of books on marriage, and this year, for the very first time in 12 years, we are at a place where we can literally look up from the desk, you could say, that we have been focused on for helping build this ministry for the last 12 years, and for the first time, we can actually look up and see the future for marriage ministry now, because we had to kind of put it on the back burner to a certain degree to focus on building leadership and building the teams, and now we have teams and leaders who have stepped up and stepped forth and said, pastors, we can take care of this. You go and do what God has called and created you to do, which is to help marriages and families because we know the church is only as strong as its weakest link. And if marriages and families are crumbling all around the world, which they have been, then we have a crisis. We have a problem in the church. 
Our hearts will always be pastors. We'll always be a church, a pastor here at High Point Church, but we are going to build the kingdom of God this year like never before. We are going to expand High Point Church. We're going to expand into other parts of this world. We're going forth, and we're going to do it by taking and helping one marriage at a time. We're not turning back. We only have a certain amount of time here on earth, and we've got to make a difference, and as a church, that's how you can help us. We need your strengths. We need your gifts. We need leadership stepping in because we've got to step up and step out to go into the world to reach the people so we can change some lives. Why are we here? What's the problem? Discover the problem. Discover what you have been called to do, what makes you cry, what moves you with compassion, and become the solution to the problem. Because if you deny and ignore the problems in this world, your heart will become callous and you'll grow weary and well-doing. You know, the more we get to know God and his word, what happens is we discover his heart, don't we? God's heartbeat beats for the lost. So Amy and I, we have a heartbeat. Our bait, you could say, for fishing is marriage. We have people who have been saved just reading our marriage books, who have come to Christ, who have had marriages and families reconciled and restored, just reading our marriage book. It's what we are using for bait. The infrastructure, the backbone of this church is to reach the lost. But we all have gifts and talents that are bait to bring in the people, the lost and hurting. Let me ask you a question. I think you've come to know God enough and his word enough to answer this. How does Jesus feel about the blind? How does he feel about the deaf? How does he feel about the mute people? How does he feel about the lost? How does he feel about the sick? How does he feel about the lame? How does he feel about the poor church? How does Jesus feel about these people? He loves them. But here's the thing is he didn't just say, for God so loved the world, and that's it, period. For God so loved the world, the what? He did something about it. He sent his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. In verse 17, John 3, it goes on to say, for God did not condemn the world, but he became a solution to this world. moving and compassion is, is it's sympathy, but it's more than sympathy. Com- it's, it's, it's empathy, but it's more than empathy. Compassion is sympathy, it's empathy, but it's much more, and it's moved into action to do something about the injustice and the pains of this world and not to judge every book by the cover. I love this officer. She wrote this on social media, and she's African-American. And she wrote this response and said, please don't judge me with all those other monsters. I got into law enforcement because I wanted to protect those who could not protect themselves. I got into it for the right reason. I'm doing it for the right reason. We can't just throw it all away and say they're all bad. Just because one doctor messes up doesn't mean all the doctors are bad. Just because one pastor messes up doesn't make all the pastors bad. I love the scripture in John 10.10 where Jesus says, listen, it's the thief who comes. And he comes to steal 
He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. And Jesus goes on to say, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. In other words, Jesus is the solution. He did something about it. He changed this world for the rest of eternity. Jesus, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus left all of his glory. He left all of heaven. He became poor so that you would be made rich. In 1 Peter 2, 24, Jesus took upon himself our sickness. He took upon himself the stripes that were laid on his back. Jesus did not have to go through the stripes to die on the cross. But he took the stripes on his back so that by his stripes you are healed. And for our griefs and our sorrows in Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5, for our griefs and our sorrows he gave us peace. Doesn't end there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says he became sin. He became, he did not sin, but he became sin. He took upon himself our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is moved with compassion, moved with the heart of God. And the only way we will live a life of no regrets here on earth is when we find out what God is compassionate for. It's one of the greatest prayers we can pray is, God, what are you compassionate for? And then get in that move with him. We are a part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves here at High Point Church. This thing is going to run way beyond Amy's and my generation if Jesus hasn't come back yet. This is so much bigger. His church is so much bigger than just two people. It is about the people. It's about you being a part of something that makes up something so much bigger than ourselves, but we get the honor and the privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to make a significant difference in this world and to help reach people and change lives. Jesus didn't come to defeat Satan just for himself. He came to this world to defeat Satan for you and for me. So we could live in victory. It's this good news that changes us from the inside out. And yes, we're still learning. We're still growing. He calls us his little children, the Bible says. And so even if you've learned to develop a relationship and a friendship with the Lord Jesus for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years or the last two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, I'm telling you for the rest of eternity that infinite wisdom of God is going to be pouring into us. We're going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're going to be sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul. We're going to be sitting at at the feet of the Apostle Peter. We're going to be just listening to Bible studies. We're going to be learning and growing all throughout eternity. And we're going to become more and more like him. But we share today his feelings and his thoughts And the more we have this friendship, this relationship with the creator of the universe, the more we'll be moved with compassion and become the world changers that he's created us to be, to become the history makers that he created us to be, to become the people who reach their God-given dreams and destiny so we can leave a legacy. It's this good news. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 reminds us it's the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. That love is in our hearts. It's what cries out when we see an injustice, even as little children. 
Many of you have seen it. You've seen maybe a mom and dad fighting. You knew in your heart, that's not right. You saw brothers and siblings maybe arguing or hurting each other. You knew in your heart, it wasn't right. Why? Because we are created in his image. And the more we come to know him and discover his heart, the more we share his feelings. Church, we weren't created to be poor. We were created to prosper and succeed. We weren't created for sadness. We were created for joy. We weren't created for sickness. We were created for health and wholeness. We weren't created to be defeated, but to live in victory. Don't let anyone tell you that our Father is anything other than what Jesus said. Jesus made it clear it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He didn't say it's God who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not God who took your baby. It's not God who took that, home, that person home premature. It's not God who uh, wrecked your finances or wrecked your situation or your marriage. It wasn't God. It's the thief. Jesus painted it clear, and he made it clear. It's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to do the Father's will, and that is to give you life and life more abundantly until it overflows. This good news is what changes us from the inside out. I remember a father one day, his son was arrested. And he was so mad, he was so angry, he told his pastor, he said, I am livid. He said, I just want to give him a tongue lash and I just want to whip him. I am so mad, I am so angry. And the pastor just encouraged him, why don't you go see your son? And he said, I, I don't know if I can, but he did. He went and he saw his son and when his son was brought out in the prison clothes, that whole tongue lashing, that whole whipping, that whole concept of just being rough on his son, it all left him in the love of God. The compassion of God rose up in that man's heart, and he ran to his son, and he held him in his arms, and he just wept, and he cried. That's what the love of God does, is it changes us from the inside out. Even though our minds are being renewed, God understood this concept. Love is the greatest gift. Love is what never fails. Love is what's going to change us. Love is what makes us more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. It's his love. And the more we come to comprehend his compassion, like that woman understood the compassion of God when she saw John G. Lakes just hold her and weep over her. But again, it's more than sympathy. It's more than empathy. It is action. And faith works by love and through love. And the more we comprehend how much God loves us, the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height of God's love, the easier it is for our faith to ignite. And it's by faith that we overcome this world. This love is what changes us. The compassion of God is what changes us. Remember a number of years ago, this man of God, in the early years of his life, he said he had an open vision, a dream, and he saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that were just skin and bones and starving to death and dying of sickness and disease. And there was this elderly man that was just skin and bones, just leaning up against the tree to stabilize himself. And then he said to him, he said, what is the meaning of all this? And this man, he said, it echoed like all throughout eternity. He said these words, it's because nobody cares. And it rose up in his heart. The compassion and the love of God rose up in his heart. And he responded to this man. He said, I care. That man went out and he started Lakewood Church. And he helped hundreds and thousands of missionaries. And he's reached thousands of people for Christ before he went home and handed the pulpit over to his son, Joel. That was John Olstein many years ago. 
A man of God who caught the vision and the dream that God had placed in his heart to make a difference in this world, to care. Because listen, nobody cares until they know how much you care. They don't care what you know until they know how much you care. They need to see compassion. These days we need to see compassion more than ever before. Because there's hatred in this world. There's strife in this world. It's fighting against marriages and families. But we've got to combat it. Not react to it, but respond to it in love and compassion. Our dream is to reach people and change lives. And church, I'm calling you back. Many of you for the last year have stayed home watching on the internet, and I'm so thankful that you stayed connected. We've reached people more than we've reached people before. We've reached people in other parts of this world. We have partners all around this world because of this last year. It has been the greatest year of High Point Church. But I'm calling you forth, the church. We need you. We need your help. We need your support. We need your gifts. We need your strengths. We've got Easter coming around the corner We've got these, all these little cards that we make up. Every event, we always make up these little cards to make it easy for this church to invite family and friends and relatives and neighbors and enemies so they can come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ so they can become born again. Easter's just around the corner, and we're calling you back, church. We're saying, come back. Don't forsake the assembling together. It is our time. It is our hour. The goal of the enemy is to shut down the church because he understands this is where the power is. We're the hands, we're the feet, we're the body of Christ. And every joint supplies your value will add value. Your gifts will add strength to this church. Maybe you're saying, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable yet. Well, then share on social media. Share these messages. All you have to do is share it with your friends and your family. They can watch us online. On Twitter, Instagram, social media, Facebook. All you have to do is share this message, but don't sit back and do nothing. God didn't create the church just for us to win. He created this church so we can help others win. He wants us to bring others up with us. Yes, we're growing. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become like-minded. He wants us to learn how to win. But listen, there's different stages in life called maturity. When I was in sports, all I wanted to do was win. Then all I cared about was just being a part of a winning team. And today, all I care about is helping others win. I know what it feels like to win in life. I know what it feels like to be a part of a winning team. But there is no greater joy in my heart than to help others win in life. To see them succeed in their marriages and their families, to flourish and to thrive in life. It's one of the greatest joys next to seeing people come to Christ every single Sunday it's to see someone discover why they were born and to get into what they're called to do. One day, Jesus told a story about a man that was abused and hurt and left to die. He was stripped naked and he was absolutely stolen from. And a Levite, a religious person, came along and ignored him. A priest came along, saw him. But he ignored him. And a man who was a Samaritan, the least likely, saw this man who was there, left to die. And he came along and he bandaged up his wounds and brought him to the innkeeper. And he said, I need to go for a couple of days, but I will be back. I will be back. 
And he left him with money and he said, anything above and beyond this, he said, I will fully compensate you for anything and everything that you do for this man. But he encouraged him to nurture. That's the heart of the church. We're here to nurture. And Jesus goes on to say that man will come back in Luke chapter 10, verse 35. And he says that man is going to come back to compensate that innkeeper. Today, the Lord Jesus is saying your tithes, your offerings, your sacrifices, your gifts, your strengths, everything that you give up, I will fully compensate you. I'm coming back and I will compensate you now and for the rest of eternity. And guess what? I'm going to do way more than what you've given to me and to my people to help my people win in life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, The sufferings we may experience in this lifetime won't even compare to the glory we will experience in the ages to come. Jesus says, anything you give up, in Mark chapter 10, anything you give up for my name's sake. It could be houses. It could be real estate, he says. Any relationships that we give up. He said, I'll give you a hundredfold in this lifetime and in the ages to come eternal life. In the first million or billion years, you're still going to be looking at your mansion saying, Woo-wee! That is amazing. I'm telling you, CNN, Fox, I'm telling you, none of these people have seen anything like it. And if you had that here on earth, there would be news all over you, especially if you're a Christian. But they're going to have mouth-dropping experiences if they get born again before then, when they see your home in eternity. And remember, God's not waiting until you get there. He says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to experience the fullness of joy. I want you to experience the fullness of what it's like to thrive in your marriage, not to survive. I want you to experience life and life more abundantly until it overflows. I want you to experience the blessings that will chase you down and overtake you because it's my blessing that makes you rich and adds no sorrow with it. And I am a good father. God needs his people to become great receivers because all great quarterbacks need to have a great receiver in order for them to enter into their glory, into their element. And God today is saying, I want to bless my people because it becomes a salt and light difference to the world. What's so different about your marriage? If they came to your house, would they want to get saved? If they saw your children, would they want to get saved? If they see you prospering and flourishing in your companies, would they want to get saved and say, I want what you, what you got? Church, we're the salt and the light in this world, and God wants to lavish his goodness, his mercy on us. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Church today, let's respond to the Lord Jesus and say, we're going to be those laborers. I don't care if we're the only church in all of the city of Rochester, in all of Minnesota, in all the United States. Let us be the ones that rise up and say, we will be the laborers. We will be the ones who will help with the great harvest. Because that's his heart. We share his thoughts. We share his feelings. Jesus understands what you're going through. Sometimes people think, well, I can't do this until I get through this. But God says, no, it's not where you start in life, it's how you finish. I'm the author and finisher of your faith. What I've begun in you, I'm going to complete it. So don't sit back and do nothing, do something. You've got a gift, you've got a talent, you've got faith, you've got love, you can do something, you've got a smile, you can brighten people's days when they walk through those doors. There's something for everyone here at High Point Church. Jesus understands, though, 
how you feel, what you're going through. He sympathizes with you. He has empathy with you and for you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are yet without committing any sin. He knows what it's like to be in this world, to experience temptation. He knows what it's like to be in this world, to experience what it's like to be hungry and to be thirsty, to even be weary. He understands. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. When the leper came to him and said, Jesus, are you willing to cleanse me, to heal me? Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Another translation, Jesus says, I want you. Today, Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, says to you in whatever your situation is, I want you. I want to be that miracle in your marriage. I want to be that miracle in your finances. I want to be that miracle in your physical body. I want you. And he's moved with great compassion. In fact, the Greek reads this way. Jesus yearned over him with bowels of his compassion. Jesus understood what it was like to be ostracized, left alone to die. With leprosy comparable, he didn't have it. But he understood what it was like because he took it upon himself. He took upon all the sicknesses and the sins of the world upon himself. He knew what it was like to be left alone and to die when his disciples left him. In John chapter 4, verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. As a human, Jesus understands what it's like to be hungry. He understands what it's like to be thirsty. He understands what it's like to be weary. But as a son of God, he understands how to give us living water. As the Son of God, he understands how to take two pieces of fish and two, a few pieces of bread and to multiply it and feed the thousands. He understands what you're going through, and yet, because he is action, he has compassion himself, he changes the situation. He understands what it feels like to have someone die. The Bible says that when he was going to Lazarus' grave, who was a good friend of his, the Bible says that Jesus wept. He understands what it's like to have someone that you love die. But as a son of God, he understands how to resurrect that friend. He understands how to resurrect that family member of yours. He understands how to resurrect that spouse of yours. He understands how to resurrect them for the rest of eternity. So you'll never be apart for the rest of eternity. God is a good God. And he loves you and he treasures you. He understands how you feel and yet he doesn't leave you there because it's not just sympathy. It's not just empathy. It is compassion and action. God is an action God. And the key is to learn to keep flowing in this compassion, to keep flowing in it. And the key is to forgive so it doesn't block, so it doesn't hinder, so you don't get bitter. You become better in this world. We've all been wrong. We've all been hurting well, you don't understand what that person did to me. I may not, but Jesus does. I may not be exactly in your shoes, but I can reassure you our Savior understands exactly what you're going through. And he's been through even much worse, just so you understand, when he went into the pits of hell for three days and three nights. He didn't just die physically and emotionally. He died spiritually so you and I could be resurrected with him and become born again. He understands what it's like to go through the excruciating pains of what it's like to be in hell. And that's why he didn't create hell for you and me. He created hell for Satan and the fallen demons. He loves this world. 
He doesn't want anyone to perish. And that's where you have the good news of Jesus Christ and you can help us reach people and change lives because that is the heart of God Almighty. And if it means one marriage at a time or one family at a time, we're great with that because everybody counts in the eyes of God. Forgiveness, staying in this flow of forgiveness, Jesus helps us understand because he understands compassion cannot be blocked. It's got to keep flowing in and through us, especially in these last days because Jesus made it clear in these last days, the love, love will grow cold. We've seen it happen. Just in the last several years, we've seen love become cold like never before and cruel. The enemy has turned up the intensity But let me tell you the good news. God is turning up his intensity. And he says the latter days of my church will be greater than the former days of my church. He is pouring out a great outmoving of his Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, church, we're not praying. We're not crying for a revival. We are the revival. We are the church today. We are in this generation going to make a significant difference. We're going to create history in the processes and leave a great legacy for others to follow in. But this is the key, is to stay in the compassion of Christ, the love of God. It's what changed us from the inside out. But don't forget what it's done for you. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us two parables. He says there were two people who had debts. One of them was called to pay up his debts. Comparable today, his debt was over $10 million. And he fell on his knees before his master, and he cried out and said, Have mercy on me. And the the master, the Bible says, in verse 27, this master had compassion on him and forgave him of all of his debt. You would think he would have been grateful. He would have been thankful. But you know what he did? He went out and found somebody that owed him, comparable to today, $20. And he took him by the throat and he began to strangle him and say, pay me now. And the man fell at this man's feet who had just been forgiven over well over $10 million. And he fell at his feet and said, please have mercy on me. And he would not, the Bible says, but he had him thrown into prison. All over a measly little $20. I'm not devaluing what you've been through, church. But I can tell you and reassure you what you've been forgiven of is greater than you can ask, think, or even imagine. And when you get a deeper revelation of how much you have been forgiven for the rest of eternity, compassion can't help but just roll up on the inside of you and love this world because God loves it. But the key is to be willing to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. I'll close with this true story of man of God. He was a Methodist pastor many years ago had arthritis in his hands and throat his body, and he was becoming crippled in excruciating pain as well. And he heard a sermon on the power of forgiveness, that God wants compassion. He wants grace. He wants healing to keep flowing through us. But the key is to forgive, to let go so his healing can flow. And this man went home, and he realized he had been wronged. He had been hurt many times over the years of being a pastor And he sat before the Lord and he did this. Father, just as you've forgiven me, I forgive that person. One by one, he went through all the people that he had been harboring unforgiveness towards and he had become bitter towards. And he went through them one by one after another and he forgave them saying, Father, just as you've forgiven me, I forgive them. And one by one, after he did that, a finger would straighten out. Another finger would straighten out. Another finger would straighten out. Another finger, all ten fingers, all the arthritis left. Why? Because he let go. 
And he let the healing grace of God flow into his life. And compassion and love began to flow into his physical body again as God had originally designed us in all of our glory before Adam and Eve sinned. God wants to bring us back to those days like never before. And he wants the love of God to flow through us like never before. He wants the compassion of God to flow through us. Why? Because it's our way of saying thank you, Father, for what you've forgiven me. Every time you forgive someone of their wrong, every time you let go of your past, every time you move into your present and your future, what you are saying to the Lord is, Lord, I forgive that person. It's my way of saying thank you for all you've forgiven me of. And if you will do this, church, I declare and I decree over your life that the heavens are opened, that grace is flowing, healing is flowing that the miracle signs and wonders are here present to heal your bodies, to heal your minds, to restore marriages and families. As the love of God begins to flow in and through you, I'm telling you, you will indeed rise up and become history makers, world changers, people who will reach to your God-given dreams and destiny, and you will indeed leave a great legacy. If you receive this today, will you say amen? Well, we never like to close our services without giving you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I'd like to ask, with every head bowed and every eye closed, those who are joining us online, the Bible says, today is your day for salvation. In other words, right now, God wants to be a miracle in your life. He wants to bring forgiveness and healing to your life. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. And Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your cue right now is to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't focus on what you've done wrong. Focus on what Jesus Christ has done right. And God will do a miracle in your life. And today will indeed become your day of salvation. All of your sins will be forgiven, washed away as far as the west as the east. You'll be cleansed. You'll become a new creation in Christ Jesus. All old things have passed away and all things have become new when you call on that mighty name of Jesus. And I'll tell you what we'll do as a church. We're going to join you in this prayer. I'm going to ask before I ask those that are watching online, I'm going to ask those that are here present today, if you've never made that decision to receive Jesus Christ, or let me take it one step further, you've accepted Christ, but deep down in your heart, you know you're not following him the way that you could or should. And you're saying, Pastor, I need to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. And today I want to make that happen. So on either one of those occasions, whether it's a first-time decision or you need to recommit your heart with every head bowed and every eye closed all over the side of the auditorium, you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. Would you slip your hands up? Be bold enough to slip your hands all over this auditorium right now, just acknowledging I need Jesus' forgiveness. I appreciate it. That takes a lot of courage to do this, church. Thank you so much for your hands. You can put them down. Any others who are saying, Pastor, pray for me too. I need to receive Jesus Christ. I need to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. Just a moment longer. Any others who are saying, Pastor, pray for me too. Okay, thank you so much. I see your hands. Any others? Anyone else? Just a moment longer. Anyone else? Okay, let's do this. Let's put a hand on a heart. Those that are watching us online, we want to encourage you to pray this prayer with us as we pray it all out and join those that are making that quality choice and that decision. God's love, his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness is about to flow into your life as you call on his name. Would you pray this out loud with us? Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. I commit my life to you now and forever. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence and take my life and do something with it. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap? Thank you for being a wonderful congregation as always. I love you. appreciate you. I look forward to seeing you next time.